Hey guys, it's your host, Avery Carl. Welcome to the Short Term Show special episode series on Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I'm super excited to do this 10 episode deep dive into this market with you. And I wanted to make a few notes for you first. So if you wanna set up a search for properties or see current purchase prices or current income numbers in this market, you can do that at our website, theshorttermshop.com. If you just wanna connect with us and hang out and talk about short-term rentals more, you can do that in our Facebook group. It's the same title as my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. And you can also find the information on all of our other market short-term show special episode series there as well. So we look really forward to hanging out with you over the next 10 episodes and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the short term show special episode series on Myrtle Beach. Our previous episode was a really cool data experience with Erica from Vrolio. So now we're going to marry that with the expense information. I can't find my words today. With uh, all the information you need on the expenses of owning in this market. Most properties in this market are going to be condos. There are a few single families as well. More than a few. But mostly condos. Very condo heavy market. Kind of like Panama City Beach. Uh, where one of our panelists is. But we've got a really cool panel here to help us talk about expenses. You're going to be familiar with both of them from previous episodes, other markets. Uh, first, I will introduce Tim Grillo. Tim, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name's uh, Tim Grillo. Uh, I actually live in the Smokies and uh, own uh, short-term rentals in Gulf Shores, Alabama, a couple condos there, as well as uh, some cabins in the Smokies. So uh, love this stuff. Awesome. And then next we have January Johnson. January, you want to introduce yourself really quick? Hi there. I live in Panama City. I um, am a native of Panama City, Florida, and came back and owned short-term rental property there. And I'm under contract in a condo on Myrtle Beach. Amazing. So let's talk about the expenses here real fast. So uh, condo expenses in a beach market, pretty similar across the board. Uh, but let's talk about these things. So Typically, well, I don't really want to get into HOA fees just yet, but that's where we're, that's where we're going to go. We're going to go straight for the HOA fees. So HOA slash condo fees in markets like this, a lot of people. That's the first thing there that is like a red flag for them is oh, I don't want I don't want to buy a condo. I don't like condo fees. But why is that? Because a lot of times the condo fees will cover a lot of the expenses that you'd be having to pay anyway. So what what do you guys typically see, Tim? I know you own a bunch of condos. Um, with what those condo fees cover. Yeah, a lot of it is just really due diligence. Um, to me, a, a condo fee isn't a whole lot different than owning, owning a single family home in a healthy condo building, you know? And when I say healthy, you know, one that's mostly uh, suited for short-term rentals with good management in place. A lot of the expenses that you're paying in towards, you'd be paying for anyway. You know, it's going to you'd be going to the exterior of your own house or whatever. But also, what you kind of got to look at is what all does HOA include. You know, uh, some HOAs include all your water bills, your sewer bills, your cable, your internet. Some include none of that. So, you know, if it looks like really high HOA, you just got to dig in and find out what's that include. And then another thing I like to look at is what's the culture of the HOA? Some HOAs will like artificially make their dues look kind of smaller by doing lots of assessments. So like insurance has gone up over the last several years. They just keep hitting people with insurance assessments. And then it looks like the HOA dues are smaller. 
and other ones do it the complete opposite. They'll look like they'll have really high HOA dues, but they may have huge reserves and they may have like no assessments. So you really got to dig in uh, and, and, and look at what you're, what it is. Um, the buildings I'm in, you know, obviously we've done some of that legwork and, uh, I'm very happy with what the HOAs cover and how it's managed. And, uh, it's a, it's a, to me, it's a healthy managed thing that honestly is a nice break from a lot of single families I own in other markets because it's way less to think about because I know there's good management in place and they're taking care of the building. And all I got to worry about is my four walls and uh, decor and everything on the inside. So. Yeah, totally agree with that. And I've got a, a $500 a month condo fee in my condo upstairs. And if you're looking at things and you're going, oh, okay, I've got my electric, I've got my insurance, I've got all these things and a $500 a month condo fee, that kills my return. I can't do that. Why do people buy these condos? They don't make sense. And it's because the condos pay for a lot of the things that you would be having to pay for on a single family anyway. I want to talk about assessments too, really quick. So I think a lot of people get scared of assessments. They're like, oh no, an assessment. I don't want a condo. They're going to hit me with an assessment. So when you own a single family, you know, the condo assessments are for CapEx items. So you need a new roof. We need to repaint the building. And then they assess everyone in the condo building, a fee to go pay for those things. Well, when you own a single family, it's kind of the same thing, but you're just doing small payments over time, small fixes or CapEx purchases or replacements over time. Whereas with condos, you're not doing any of that at all over time. And then you'll be hit like once a year or once every two years to pay for those things. And it's just all at once instead of small payments over time. So you're you're doing it either way. So it's really nothing to be scared of condos, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And actually, you know, I've been hit with some rather large assessments um, on like total renovation projects and stuff. And I'll be honest, at first, it, it shocked me quite a bit and everything else. But what I kind of learned on the backside of it is just like a single family house. When you renovate a building, Boom! You're one. It rents better because you have you can take better pictures of everything, and it's a better experience for your guests. Um, but also, your your property value tends to go up. You know, I mean, a, a fresh looking brand new building is going to be uh, worth more than uh, than something that's all dumpy. So I also like to look at HOA fees as buying a few intangible things. Like most condos are waterfront, and you can't get a house that's waterfront in, for that same price. So I look at it too as your. I mean, I know this is in my head, but it makes me feel better about it because, because I'm paying for the proximity to the water. I'm paying for the beach access. I'm, I'm also definitely paying for a swimming pool. Uh, I'm paying for, in some cases, other amenities, like maybe an on-site restaurant. That's, you know, the proximity to that, or a little store that sells incidentals to, to my guests. So there's those things that I would not have a single family that I just consider that the HOA is handling all of those things and hello, beach proximity. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we've got at this condo, we've got three pools, we've got deeded beach access, uh, the landscaping's done. So these are all things, you know, I do have a single family with a private pool that we maintain. And I know it's not terribly expensive, but it is a pain in the ass. And I don't have to deal with that here. And there's three of them. And the deeded beach access versus public beach access, it's a, it's a different animal. It's a little less crowded in some cases. So you're right. You are you would not be able to get a single family home on the beach for that. And even so, the insurance on properties that are like on the sand, a lot of times, even if they're $20 million properties, they're not going to be insurable. Sometimes they are. I'm not saying none of them are, but they're, the insurance on those is 
astronomical because they're on that they are the first thing that a hurricane is going to hit when it hits land before it slows down at all. So um, a lot of times it's actually just not even worth it numbers wise, investment wise to be on the sand. If you just are a millionaire, billionaire, and you want to be on the sand, great. That's one thing. But typically we're not seeing those as being investment properties. Uh, not the $20 million ones anyway. So I agree. It's it's the best, most cost-efficient way to be on the beach with a view of the water and have all these things. Uh, I Jan- yeah, I want to say something else about assessments. So it's not like you all of a sudden find out that you have an assessment next month. I mean, there there is an a there is a homeowners association, there's meetings, people have conversations, there, there's a vote, there's discussion. It's I mean, this is it's it's a known thing that is coming. They don't just spring it on you and say, oh, by the way, you owe us 20 grand next month. Um, and also I always advise clients who are looking at buying condos to get the last year's worth of the HOA meeting minutes and agendas so you can see what they've been discussing. And you know, you'll see what's of concern to that building or to those people. You'll see what might be coming up. And that may or may not impact your decision to buy there, but it's always good to do your due diligence on that. Yeah. Well, I guess, so let's talk about the one thing that it usually doesn't cover and that's electric. So most of the listeners here are going to be buying, I would say between a one and a three bedroom condo. Tim, what do you see for your electric usually on that size? Uh, Pretty cheap. Uh, Tops, 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 like dead of the summer. People are probably leaving the door open more often than they should. It gets up in the 175-ish range. Uh, you know, middle of the winter, you're down in the like 70 bucks, maybe less. I mean, it, it uh it's not much. It's uh and and part of it is you're you're kind of surrounded by other units, you know. So you're somewhat, I'll say, insulated, you know. So it's not I didn't quite, even think about that. It's not like you're uh, you know, you, you don't have it really unless you're on the top floor, it's not really escaping out the roof or anything like that, like it would be in a normal house. So yeah, I think 150 a month on average is a good safe bet. And yeah, it's going to be higher, going to be lower, but 150. Yeah, I'm, I agree with with Tim. Okay, yeah, so it's not a not a huge expense in this market. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about maintenance. So we're right on the ocean, and typically there are going to be some things that, when it comes to properties that are exposed to salt air on a constant basis, that we have to deal with maintenance wise pretty often. So, what are some of those things? A couple of my big ones are that and one is really different well two both these are a little bit different because of the beach aspect but hvacs in a condo building understand where your outside hvac unit is it it can make a difference it's going to corrode faster than it would in a non-beach market period one of mine is in an area where it doesn't get rained on which sounds like a good thing but it's actually not because the salt water sits on there and it corrodes on it and uh so that that you can either, you know, pay somebody to go spray it off of the hose a few times a year, which is a good idea, but also plan on replacing it. You know, something that would last in a non-beach market would be like 15 years. This may be like five. Um, are you responsible for that in a condo it, because it's outside or just where you are? Ours ours is, I am responsible for it, you know, and uh, I will say the HVAC companies there are very uh, in tune with that. And uh, it's also, for whatever reason, not near as expensive as other markets to replace that 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 part of the unit. So um, I've had to do it. it not a huge deal. Um, so that and uh, the door lock, you know, and I'm talking specific to condos. We're talking about a house. There's a lot more. Uh, but uh, the door lock, 
is going to take a beating. Um, and that's just something you have to kind of plan on replacing more often than you would in a, a normal place, but really anything outside that can corrode. We, uh, exterior door. I mean, this is just kind of more normal stuff, but exterior doors of condos I've found get kind of beat up. You know, people are coming in with suitcases and kids and, you know, all that kind of stuff and they get a little beat up. So we, we repaint ours once a year. And then, uh, you know, we have the metal plates on the bottom and all that kind of stuff. So got to make sure you have the right furniture too. Don't be putting the the outdoor furniture from Home Depot that everybody thinks is outdoor furniture out there on the salt facing balcony. You want that good poly resin poly, yeah. and yeah, heavy you, stuff because it can be windy and things can blow around. So you want heavy and heavy duty and that, that resin stuff. Absolutely agree. The, the, the outdoor stuff from any, anywhere store, you're going to have rust rings all over your balcony and, <laughs> uh, and, and they're going to fall apart. So polywood is the way to go. hundred percent. And Something else. So when it comes to single families, one of the big metal components that is outside that is going to be corroded on every single property that you look at is going to be the exterior of the HVAC unit. So the, you know, the big metal box thing. I've had Parker Borowski, she'll let me say her name on here, had the best deal. She did end up buying it. Best deal under contract. Um, a few years ago, and she wanted to terminate it because there was corrosion on the exterior, like encasement of the HVAC. And I like had to shake her because I'm friends with her. I would never shake just anyone, but um, I had to like shake her and be like, you will buy this property. It was uh, one, one tier back from the beach for like 700 in a very much more expensive market than that. It's worth like $3 million now. So um, she's happy I shook her. But my point was, don't terminate a good deal because of corrosion, because there's going to be corrosion on everything. So don't let a good deal go because of that, because you're going to terminate that. And then on the very next one, there's also going to be corrosion on the HVAC unit. So just keep that in mind. Anything metal that's outside in a beach market will probably have some corrosion or some rust or something. It can be scary for coming from you know, if you've never been in a beach market, uh, when you start looking at inspection reports and stuff, the corrosion can be scary, but it is, there is no, uh, there's no getting around it really. Um, so the Lord wants it to corrode. Okay. So anything else in terms of maintenance that we deal with a lot in a beach market like this because of salt, moisture, humidity, I would say, um, you know, a lot of times owners of condos want to supply beach equipment for people. So beach chairs, portable beach chairs, beach wagons, those kind of things. Definitely. And Chuck Kramer will tell you this too. Definitely don't get the ones with the wooden hand, the wooden armrests, <laughs> get the plastic, don't get the wooden armrests, but because you'll have to replace them more frequently. I mean, for the most part, I replace beach chairs every year, if not every other year. Um, but you know, if you're going to supply things for people to take down on the sand with them, you want to be sure that you're paying attention to the quality and the and the um, the upkeep of those items that you provide for people also. Yeah, on that same note, I started to say about sand. Um, you you're, you'll have some sand related maintenance issues uh, along the way. I'd say the biggest thing on that is like a pee trap and a shower. You know, over time they'll start to you know people come in. No matter how much you wash off at the beach, you end up with some sand in your condo, <laughs> which is is just part of it and uh, not a huge deal. But uh, you know, from time to time you have to have a plumber come out and clean the sand out of pee traps and stuff like that. But uh, it's pretty pretty simple and that's not a huge expense. But it is it is something that if you're not used to it, it can catch you off guard a little bit. Yeah. Anything else related to sand that we have to worry about maintenance wise, condo or single family? Don't have carpet. 
yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm astounded by how many condos I see that have carpet in them. And I mean, even if it's nice carpet, I just feel like you can never get it clean enough. And I mean, throw a rug down maybe, but um, I would rather see tile or wood look tile or whatever LVP in condos just because you've got moisture, you've got sand, and it's going to get down in that carpet. And I think it's gross. Yeah, it is gross. And I feel you, that way about all carpet. Yeah, all carpet. We're so the house that we live in is kind of like a live-in flip, and our bedroom does have carpet, although it's new. And there is like an invisible sand burr in one section of the carpet. I can never find it. I step on it often, and it hurts a lot. But when I get down there, I can't find it. And so sand burrs are not not something to be trifled with. They hurt so bad. So, so like the Lego of the plant world. Oh my God, even worse, <laughs> like so bad. And um, I think about that, like every, can you imagine if, if I was a guest in this house and I keep, st- I've stepped on this sand burr at least 1000 times. I don't know why it won't crush, but <laughs> I can't find it. It doesn't exist to my eyeballs, only to my feet. So anyway, there's a lot of reasons not to have carpet, sand, sand burrs. It's just gross. It looks dated. Like that's something that will eventually, when we get to that level of the house, we've gone from bottom floor up, uh, will be replaced with LVP. You just gotta, you've got to go LVP. No, no carpet. Carpet is very up to like mid two thousands and back. All right. So anyway, off of that tangent, uh, let's see anything else maintenance wise that's specific to beach markets that we haven't mentioned that might cost us some money. I think we touched on all of it, right? Well. Yeah. Okay. And if you have a a single family and you've got a pool, I mean that, but that's usually, you know, you pay somebody to maintain that monthly and yeah, mostly that's about 150 bucks a month or so. Yeah. That costs us about 150 a month. And we really don't get, you don't get many phone calls about, Oh, the pool isn't what I want it to be. Like it's, it's usually fine. Uh, You do want to make sure if you buy a property that has a private pool, it has a pool heater. When we bought, we were like, eh, it's the beach. We don't need a pool heater. That's absurd. But no, it it really does. We ended up installing one. I think it costs about three grand to install a gas pool heater. It could be more depending on what, what you have to do and what the rules are. So definitely check with the city. You do have to get a permit to do something like that. So check with the city what they require, whether it's gas, electric, what have you. But a pool heater really can extend your season a little bit. And it will definitely bump that price per night. We actually charge 50 bucks a day for the pool heater uh, during the off season. So it's definitely something worth having. If you have a pool, just get the pool heater. It'll pay for itself in one season. A couple of degrees makes a big difference. <laughs> swimming in a 78 degree pool is not as fun as swimming in an 82 degree pool. Ours is heated and people love it, especially yeah. in the winter. So. Yeah. And really, you're only heating it in the winter. I mean, the rest of the time, the sun's doing the work for you. So, yeah. I saw there's a interior designer that I follow on TikTok and he did some list recently about like 10 luxury things to do to your house. And one of them was to heat your pool to 98 degrees because that's the exact same body temperature as you. So he's he was like, it's just amazing. It's what I do with my pool. And I've never done it. But now every time I hear pool temperatures, I think about why did he say that? <laughs> That seems like, really hot. Uh, yeah. That seems too hot for swimming and not, not, not hot enough for hot tubbing. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what, but I want to try it now because I'm like, why did he say that? That's such <laughs> a weird thing to suggest. Uh, anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. 
who I follow on TikTok. Okay, so let's talk about cleaners really quick. So there's a few things that you want to ask cleaners, and, and we're going to have an entire episode on this, so don't we're not going to get too far in the weeds. But a couple of things you want to ask cleaners in terms of cost, they will typically do things one of two ways. They'll either provide you know, your paper towels, toilet paper, all that consumable stuff, and they'll charge a little extra for that so you don't have to worry about stocking it. Or they will not do any of that and just let you know, hey, your paper towels are low, and then you Amazon it to them. And it's very market specific. So in some markets that I'm in, they want they want you to Amazon it to them. And then other markets, like actually, the, she's not our cleaner anymore, but the cleaner that used to clean this one got mad at us for sending her something to stock and was like, I'm not a property manager. And we're like, okay, but you said we needed more of this. <laughs> so what do you suggest? So um, what do you guys typically see cleaning cost wise and what do your cleaners cover? For one bedroom, uh, I'm I'm in the I'm in the category of I love cleaners that provide everything uh, in every market that I'm in. And uh, we actually, that's something we look for because in the early days we didn't do that. And it's just, it's just, I found it's a hassle that we don't need and uh, we'd rather outsource that. So that's a personal decision. Um, but our one bedrooms on the beach, we're at about $120 a clean and that's with them providing, providing everything. So, yeah, that's about right. Um, and I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised sometimes at, you know, going up a bedroom and a bathroom is not like double necessarily, you know, it's not. 125 for a one bedroom and then, you know, 375 for a three bedroom. It, it really depends. But um, I'm also in the camp of please provide the items, you know, the little soaps and the whatever. And, and my cleaners provide also trash bags and a couple of dishwasher tabs and some laundry tabs and things like that to, to get guests through as well. So yeah, about 125 for one, but maybe 175 for a two bedroom ish, something like that. Okay. I have found the beach markets tend to be a little bit more expensive than like a mountain market. Uh, so if you're in a mountain market, move to the beach, expect to pay a little bit more. It's not exorbitant, but it is typically more. So let me tell you, this is not something that you want to get the cheapest person for. Okay. I, I, when I started out, I started out being a Airbnb host nine years ago, and it was a very mom and pop organization kind of a thing. And None of my cleaners ever had smartphones back then. And so they would say, you know, guests did some kind of damage or whatever. And I would say, well, send me some pictures. And they would tell me they couldn't because they didn't have the phones. So I started out back in, you know, back in the day, back in my day. But now I would rather pay a little bit more for a cleaner. I would rather pay more for a, a service, a cleaner that has a team of people. Because if that one cleaner can't be there and you're stuck and you don't live there, I mean, I'm not going I I have property in in the city where I live and I'm not going over there to clean it. Okay. I mean, I'm would do a terrible job, first of all, but I consider that I'm a remote manager even for the property that, that is in my town. And it is much more important to me to pay a professional person with a professional equipment who can who has the team that can get in there and get the job done and get out in the time that I need them to. So I have experimented with trying to get the best deal and it is not the best deal. Just learn from me. Completely agree with that. Uh, sometimes if you have to actually charge less cleaning fee than what you're paying, it can actually be worth it. <laughs> you don't want to go crazy with that, but uh I couldn't agree with what January said more. So, all right. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Cleaners are not the place to try and pinch pennies. You, you need a good, you should pay your cleaner extra for doing a good job because you can't do it without them. Yeah. I give like random tips. And uh, I mean, I don't tip every turn, but I give random, like, oh my gosh, we got a great review, or I definitely give a Christmas bonus. And then sometimes just in the middle of the season, if they've gone above and beyond for me on something, you know, they don't, my cleaners don't necessarily charge me for every little thing. Sometimes I'll say, oh, I, I noticed this and I fixed this for you, you know, and I'll just 
throw them some extra money because it, it, it it's in my best interest. 100%. All right. So let's talk about taxes in this market. So you guys, what what have you found for taxes? So most vacation rentals are going to have uh, you know, some sort of an occupancy tax and and Myrtle Beach is no different than that. Um, so you know, I don't live there. And uh, Jan, I know you're January. I'm I know you're right in the middle of uh buying there, so you might be able to talk on this better. But uh, roughly you're looking roughly 12% on your occupancy tax. There are some great uh, websites out there that you can go to. Um, there's actually uh, exploremyrtlebeach.com that has a lot of information about the tax structure there. They have a, it's a little bit different than some of the other markets that I'm more familiar with because they actually do like different tax brackets for lodging, food, you know, different things like that. So it all, it's all spelled out on there. And then also the county website has has good information too. So yeah. Awesome. And I think this is something that, that even I, I have found even some of my clients later after the fact they've been they've been renting for six months as a as a host and they're like they call me I'm supposed to be paying some kind of occupancy tax and I'm like <laughs> yes you are you know <laughs> I mean the the online travel agencies Airbnb and VRBO they they will pay the state tax for you but they do not pay the in, in most cases and it, again this varies by by short terminal market but um they mostly don't pay the county or the city tax. So, and, and and those things change all the time. And you would not expect Airbnb and VRBO to keep up with every single state and municipal tax uh, for occupancy, for the different kinds of things. Um, that really is your responsibility as, as a owner and a host to know what those taxes are and when they're due. And they're typically due um, monthly and in, in by the 20th or the 15th of the month for the month prior, and you can go online and file them. Um, but yeah, definitely expect that you will be paying county and city taxes. And, you know, a lot of those tax monies go for infrastructure that brings more guests to you. So I think paying occupancy tax is, um, it, it's, I don't want to call it a privilege because it's not like I'm so excited about paying taxes, but what they do for me as a host is very much worth it. And, and I believe in paying those taxes because I want there to be nice sports parks and nice roads and nice amenities in the city. That's not going to be like, Oh, we don't go to Myrtle beach anymore because you know, it's so yucky. No, the, you know, Myrtle beach uses that money to pay for things that help your help you in the end. Indirectly. It, it is my favorite tax to pay. On that. <laughs> it's a high quality problem to have a tax. It is. It that's is. And actually, that's a little bit, I, I don't want to quite say far, part of my strategy with like looking at markets, but if I'm looking at a market and, and there isn't an, an occupancy tax or something like that, that would worry me because that means that they're not a tourism based you know, market. So um, a couple things on that that uh, uh, January went through, you know, the, the paying monthly and figuring it out and everything that can be a little bit confusing and overwhelming when you're new. The websites I mentioned earlier, the, the ExploreMotorBeach.com and the county website, one of those two has got a really nice flow chart on it that kind of lays out like, here's how you, you know, how and when you file your permit and then all the things that happen after that. Also, there are some third party providers out there that will help you with this. Uh, a really popular one is mylodgetax.com. 
And they're they're not specific to any one market, but they're a service that that does this. And you can uh, sign up with them and they'll go as far as you can pay them a, a pretty nominal fee and they will uh, get your permits and stuff for you. And they will also they provide like a, a one stop shop for paying all of your your uh, your taxes. So I have used that and it is a nice thing, especially when you're starting out, if you're overwhelmed and don't have time to dig into all the little intricacies or everything, you can sign up for them. At the end of the day, it is still your responsibility. At, you know, so if like they do something wrong, it's it's your responsibility. It's your taxes. But uh, I found them to be super useful, uh, especially in the beginning. And then you know, if you get a year under your belt or whatever, and want to you know go sign up on all the websites and do it yourself, no big deal. Yeah, that's a great resource. The my lodge tax is awesome. So I don't think that oh, property taxes taxes in Myrtle Beach are a little bit higher for second homes than they are for regular. So don't get that confused. And I always like to tell people who are buying property anywhere not to, um, you know, when you get the cost to own from the current owner, do not assume that their insurance is going to be the same as yours or their taxes are going to be the same as yours. So a lot of times people who are new at this make the mistake of taking those numbers and saying, oh, well, taxes on this house are, you know, $1,500 a year. Okay. Well, they were for this person who bought it 10 years ago. Um, and it has gone up over time for them, but you're going to have a new market value or new assessed value, and they're going to f- calculate taxes based on that. Although I do know that South Carolina taxes are on the average lower than a lot of other states, but they are a little bit higher for second homeowners, for vacation property owners, other than primary residents. Yeah, uh, exactly what January just said. There, there's, I think it's, they call it four and 6%, but Anytime you're looking at property taxes, look at, get on, again, jump on the county you're looking at its website because there's usually some kind of, it's not like if you're buying a million dollar house, it's not just a million dollars times 6%. It's yeah. uh, there's a, there's a calculation and they have one. It's something crazy. Like you take the assessed value, you divide it by a thousand times 200 and some times the rate. So <laughs> it ends it, up being around 0.7% of the purchase price. Yeah. So that's a lot lower than, than where I have most of my property in Florida, which is a little bit over 1% of the purchase price. But we don't have a personal state income tax in Florida. South Carolina does have a personal state income tax, as far as I know. And so, you know, they're going to get their taxes one way or the other, but the property taxes are not super high, but they are different for vacation home than primary. All right. Good to remember all of that stuff. Always make sure, guys, that what when it comes to taxes that you have to pay, whether it's property taxes or sales tax or occupancy tax, any of that, that you are calling the city or county directly, depending on where you are. Don't rely on your agent or your property manager or whoever. Things can get lost in translation, even if you have like the smartest, most on it person calling for you, things can still get lost in translation. So always make those phone calls yourself and don't rely on other people to do that because you're going to be the one that's in trouble if your stuff isn't done right, not them. So And people are very helpful. I mean, I always encourage people to call the county, call the city, call whoever it is that's responsible. They are human beings there. They do want to help you pay your taxes. (laughs) They are very helpful. And um, in some cases, You know, like I had a client recently who just, like I said, he was like, what? I'm supposed to be paying these taxes? Well, when he (laughs) called and and said, you know, sorry, 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 they waived a lot of fees for him because they knew he was trying to get it straightened out. So they're not just, you know, mean, faceless government people. They definitely want to help you and they want to help help themselves as the city, but they want to help you as the owner get straight with that. So definitely call personally. Again, not that I love dealing with taxes, but another thing I love about some of these uh, sleepy vacation towns is these offices aren't huge. And uh, you start calling, you, you're 
pretty likely to get the same person more than once. And you can actually start to have a little bit of a relationship. So it's kind of cool. See again. It's not like you're calling a, a, a Chicago tax office, you know, so. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Chicago tax office. I don't know where that came from. I just made that up. I, mean, I called the property appraiser's office one time and went down. He was like, oh, come on down. We'll run you a list of that, you know, and okay, sure. We'll teach you how to do this. Come on over here. I'll, you know, I'll meet with you after lunch or whatever. That's nice. It's not like that everywhere. Hashtag small town life. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on and helping us talk through this. Guys, if you're ready to buy with us in the Myrtle Beach market, you can email us at agents at the shop.com. Or you can just, if you're not ready to do that yet, you just want to hang out, talk about short-term rentals. You can join our Facebook group. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Same title as my book there right behind me. Or we have a live Q&A every Thursday where you can ask us all of your burning questions about short-term rentals. And you can join that at strquestions.com. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.